This week on Behind the Message, vote for President Jennifer Lauren. I'll be your running mate, Vice President. What do you think? Well, you think everything's a cakewalk, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make sense later. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Behind the Message with Daniel and Jennifer. It is a beautiful, crisp fall day outside. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love the cold weather. So we are here. Election week is here. It's a big week, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on today. But you guys have been sending in messages and questions, and that's fabulous. Continue to send those in to BTM at TCB Church uh, backslash something. I forget every time what it is. So continue to send those in to BTM at just read what's at the bottom of the screen. I'm including that. Please don't. So you got, no, stop. No, no. I'm just going to take over now. Because <laughs> what you don't know is Jennifer has went through gone. the email, gone through, that's when we're going through the email four or five times and just can't get it to come out of her mouth. So we're just going to move on. It's on the screen. It, 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 it's on the screen, she says. All right. But here's the truth. You guys have sent in some really great questions. Yeah. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. And we get notes of encouragement too, that are almost it's weekly, yeah. the texts and different things. And one's just really special. I want to give a, a shout out to the Evans. They're in Florida and they just have been, you're watching, hi, yeah. thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> but it's great. I mean, for them to just say it helps connect back to our church yeah. and be around us is a sweet thing. So again, send us an email, send us an encouragement, send us some critique. We'll take it all. Yeah. And again, hard questions. Subject line to Jennifer, no, no, and so no. make sure that happens. No. And so my little sweet plug about sweet John and Maria Evans is that they are pursuing church family even when they're in another state in Florida. They're still they're still logging in and checking on us, and, and so I just love that. And um, we are disconnected, but I think in a lot of ways more connected than we were. So anyway, love church family. I think it's awesome. Okay, so this week, um, Paul preached. It was fabulous, and it was... Um, very difficult and very um, needed and applicable right now. So I'm gonna let you go first. What got you out of the message this week? Yeah, so uh, just props to Paul and mm. just being a good expositor, but it's one of the best outlines we've probably had this year. If you don't take advantage of looking at the notes that are provided online, make sure you do that. Mm. You can get those through the app or you can get them through the website, but they're always there, the message notes. And there's a great outline to go back and study. Yeah. In that outline, he, he gave this statement, and I'll read it because it's the what got me. Antichrist distort the truth, mm -hmm. deceive the mind, and deny the gospel. And he unpacked that in a way that left room for compromise, mm -hmm. which I think is what gets us. We think so often that the Antichrist is a just blatant, uh, obvious, mm -hmm rejection of the gospel mm -hmm. to where it's a outright denial. And that's not how the gospel is often denied by the Antichrist. It's by adding things to, taking things away, and it's compromising this to the point to where it rejects the fullness of who Christ is, mm -hmm. his deity. It rejects who he is as 100% man. It rejects just those core doctrines of the gospel by kind of compromising. And so it's deceptive to our mind. And I thought that was a great definition, a great uh, few minutes of unpacking that. And we'll get to the marks. He gave some marks, yeah. some just real practical ways, I think, in a minute. But, man, that was just powerful. It got me. And it helps you 
probably get out of this thought of, I want to identify the one antichrist that's out there, this the big bad yeah. boogeyman, yeah. and instead opens our eyes to a lot of those false teachers mm -hmm. that are around us in everyday life yeah. that really can lead us astray. And that was good, and that's what uh, my point came back to was for so many years of my Christian walk, it was the big bad boogeyman mentioned in Revelation. I mean, when you hear the Antichrist and the Antichrist will appear and the you know, whatever, that's what you think of. And it's this unknown but very scary and very bad one soul figure um, in scripture. And I knew years down the road, that's not how scripture presents. Anti there are antichrists that come, anything anti to Christ. And so what got me was the definition that Paul gave, which was um, someone who compels the heart to hope in false saviors instead of Jesus. Um, and those false saviors, like you said, aren't blatant um, idols that we bow down to, golden statues in our home, those false saviors are anything that we place our hope in other than in the salvation that Christ offers. And um, that was powerful. That was, um, that was confirming to me and eye-opening to me of how aware and diligent I need to be in the pursuit of truth in order to identify counterfeit. Anyway, it was good. So and all those churches, there was always this thought too of like um, all these people trying to guess the Antichrist, you remember? Oh, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, but by the way. There's one in every generation. Who was it in this generation? That thing, yeah. Do you realize, like, life was slower when we were younger. Do you remember cakewalks? Do they not do cakewalks anymore? I haven't heard of a cakewalk in decades. Oh. <laughs> have you, have you, when's the last well, time no, you were involved no, in a cakewalk? When my older kids were little, they did cakewalks in their school. Yeah, 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 for fundraisers. They did. Really? Yeah. So you walk around the circle, you land on it, and you and you get and you, you get, get the cake, cake and yeah. you get the cake. Yeah, yeah. I feel well, like that's a little. Well, before. I feel like that's a little bit how Christians are with trying to. You know, Christ. They're all making these guesses <laughs> and they're walking around. At some point, they're gonna be like, "Hey, I got it." <laughs> it's just, I've anyway, never I've, heard that analogy before. About I, I really just made it up right off the top of my head. Okay. I, I mean, and I don't know why I thought of cakewalks, but interesting. If, I feel like if you're listening and you're under the age of maybe 25, you have no idea what a cakewalk is. You, you think they do? No. They don't, probably. Yeah, why, why, don't. why would you do a cakewalk? Anyway, Paul is going to come, and he is going to do a sermon recap for us and get into the outline of everything that was walked through this weekend. So, Paul, go. We missed you last week. Do it. Let's go. Paul Million. <laughs> come on now! <laughs> Well, this week it was exciting to get to be in First John and talking about Antichrist, false teachers, which is always the subject that everyone loves to hear and talk about. And During election season. I, I know, <laughs> like there's not enough tension in the world already, right. so let's talk about false teachers. Yeah. Uh, but you can't really read through the late epistles, Peter and Jude and First John, without talking about it, even as we get in Revelation, because it's such a prominent theme that runs through those texts. And so... You know, one of the things that I tried to bring out with the big truth is that antichrist, plural, are all around us. And you see that in 1 John 2.18 because it says many antichrists has come, have come. So that's not to diminish that there is an antichrist or that we need to think or, or be knowledgeable about that. But it is to try to open our minds to awareness that an antichrist really is someone who is opposed to Jesus. And so the goal this morning, or yesterday morning and through the weekend, was to walk through the text and just try to define what is an antichrist, raise awareness to that, why should we be concerned as Jesus followers, and then how should we respond. So uh, the big idea, like I said, antichrist are all around us, and 
um, then just went into just some, I'm sorry, big truth and two of the big ideas to define it were this. One, Antichrist is someone who compels the heart to hope in false saviors instead of Jesus. So again, someone that's drawing people away from pursuing Jesus. And that can be really intentional deception. Mm -hmm. Or I think a lot of times in our in our Christian subculture today, it might be unintentional deception, but it's still false teaching. It's still drawing the heart away. And the way that happens is through a distortion of the truth, deceiving the mind, denying the gospel. So the second question was, why should we be concerned? And this is the one that, that honestly for me is incredibly convicting. We should be concerned because we are a people whose minds are prone to deception and whose hearts are prone to wander. And so a lot of times when we think about false teachers and false anti or antichrist, false Christ, we think, oh, someone else might be deceived by that, but I never would be. And the reality is like when you read through the whole of scripture, we see that our hearts are prone to wander constantly, that, that our, our, our minds are sick because of sin. Our hearts are desperately wicked, Jeremiah talks about. And so we need to constantly be checking ourselves. We, we need to operate under the assumption that we probably are being deceived at some level. Like our hearts are beginning to drift at some level. And so just kind of camped out on some different passages that, that explain that and reel that to us. And, and the challenge yesterday is to begin thinking about, are there some areas where my mind and my heart have been deceived or prone to wander? Or I've been wandering away from the truth of the gospel. And then just try to give some practical responses. How do we, how do we fight against that temptation to drift? And one is live with the urgency of eternity. So he says, this is the last hour. Jesus is coming soon we tend to get distracted by all the things that are going on around us. And not that the things that are happening in our family or even our world are unimportant, but we lose sight of the main thing, the big thing of living for Jesus and, and just gospel urgency. We hold fast our confession that Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. Uh, so that's kind of the crux of the passage. There's a denial that Jesus and the Father are one. Uh, and so most of us who probably would go to church here in the South, we would never say that Jesus isn't God or Jesus and the Father are separate. But we do that all the time by not affirming that Jesus is the one true Savior, that he is God, that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. So a lot of times it's not through our direct action, but it's through our inaction that we don't hold that confession. So we hold that out. We live, or we, we know, love, obey, and share the word of truth. So we, we grow to love God's word. The way we combat lie is by knowing the truth. The way we know the truth is by loving the word and obeying the word. Um, I think it's really convicting. James 1, uh, James says to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I think, again, we live in a subculture where we know a lot of the stories. We know a lot about the Bible. But are we actually obeying the truth of Scripture? Are we walking in obedience to the Spirit? And then a couple others. We love God's family. So one of the marks of the Antichrists are that they abandon God's people. So we love the bride. You know, Jesus died for the bride. We love the bride he died for. And then lastly, and this is really the most important one, is we abide in Jesus. So the word abide comes up six times just in this one short section alone. It's all throughout 1 John and John's epistles. I mean, John 15 is where Jesus talks about abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we begin to drift into deception and our hearts begin to wander when we stop abiding in Jesus, when our pursuit wanes, when we forget our identity in him. 
And so it's just a call to remember that we are great sinners in need of a great Savior constantly and to pursue him. So that's kind of the, the sermon in overview form. And it was great. It was. It was great. I, I want to do something. I want to talk about those marks of an Antichrist. You kind of connect those back to the passage and go back and read the text for us. And then what I want us to do is just break that down, use your outline, and talk about those marks of an Antichrist and just some really practical examples. So first, just get us in the Word a little bit uh, and read the section of Scripture for us. Yeah. So I'll start in verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it's true and is no lie, just as you were taught, abide in him. So you gave us five just really practical handles for the marks of an Antichrist. And we're not talking, again, about the big Antichrist, but we're talking about antichrists and false teachers that are, are prevalent around us and even within us. That's right. And so let's just walk through them and just get to some really practical examples of this. Kind of help, help us see our blind spots That's in good. these things. And so we're not necessarily just looking out there, but we're looking within too. So first, you said the abandonment of God's people. Mm-hmm. What do we mean by the abandonment of God's people? Yeah, I think just really practically, it's it's someone who would say, I love Jesus, or I love God, I love the gospel, but I don't really like his bride. I don't really love his family. And so I don't know that any of us would, would say that, but we say things similar to that. And a lot of times that comes across language like, I've been hurt by the church, the church is full of hypocrites, or the church is is not living, you know, this church I'm a part of or was a part of, they're not living up to the standard that they should live up to. And so it's choosing to pursue my own relationship with Jesus apart from God's people. And that's not scriptural at all. And anyone who abandons the bride that Christ laid down his life Mm -hmm. to purify, to save, redeem, Mm -hmm. doesn't love the groom. Mm -hmm. And we can't say that we love Jesus, but we don't love his people. Or I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to be a part of his people. And, and that's really hard right now, and it's easy to drift into that because of the global pandemic we're in and not necessarily be able to gather all the things that are there. Um, and so I think it's an easy time to lapse into that, well, I'm just going to kind of follow Jesus on my own apart from community, apart from the gathering, apart from those things. Uh, and, and I think that that leads us into error and to drifting. Yeah, that you know, each as we go through each of these things, one of the things I'd like for you to listen for is how much doctrine defines what we're talking about. Yeah. So, for example, when we talk about the church, one of those things, there's the, let's say, the universal church, all the brothers and sisters of Christ that have been adopted into his family. And then there is the local gathering of God's people that are committed to one another to live life for one another. Mm-hmm. 
uh, hold one another accountable to live in fellowship on mission together. That type of bond uh, that's present in the New Testament and carries through. And who this passage is written to. It's written to local groups of believers. That's right. And so what happens is how you doctrinally define those things become part of faithfulness in it. And you can't separate your doctrinal understanding of the church uh, from a faithfulness to this. Otherwise, you can say, well, I'm a part of the universal church. I'm not Mm -hmm. abandoning the church. I'm just abandoning these programs or I'm Mm -hmm. abandoning this thing. It's not that clean. And so those doctrines come into play and they're going to do that for each of these. Mm -hmm. So the second one is the denial of the gospel. And you're going to go right back into some of those doctrinal uh, issues there too. But what do we mean by a denial of the gospel? Yeah, I think this can get shaped out in a lot of different ways. Verse 22 talks about denying that Jesus is the, the Christ, which means Savior, Messiah, the one who's come to save us. And so that can be a, just a direct denial that Jesus isn't really the Savior. But I think the way that plays itself out a lot more in our culture is this idea is that you have your way to God, I have my way to God, and we're each going to kind of be true to ourselves in our way, and we're going to end up in the same place. Well, that's that's a denial of the gospel. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's exclusive. There's no other way around it. I think another way that it happens in our hearts, in our lives, and in teaching now is a minimization of sin, and an over-exaggeration of just our need for self-help or just kind of this therapeutic follow your heart. And really the problem that your biggest problem, my biggest problem is our past or other people or these constraints in our lives. And we just need to overcome those things instead of really wrestling with the reality that we are sinners. Like we're broken. We're rebels of God. We are slave to sin. We need to be set free. We can't set ourselves free that Jesus is the only hope. And so there's this denial that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And a lot of times it gets affirmed, oh yeah, Jesus is our Savior and Lord. But the way we address the problem is really your problem is your past and other people and you just need to get past your past kind of thing. I think one of the things that is kind of overwhelming about all of this, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before, is that in, in our culture especially, we have always addressed Antichrist as kind of like you stated before, the big bad guy in Revelation. And to hear this description of the Antichrist and to know that they are from without, but from within. And these are things that are taught and are petted in churches Mm -hmm. and that are very deceptive and very sly in -hmm. in how they're brought into the teaching of the churches. And, um, you know, even as you said earlier, we need to assume that we are being deceived in these ways um, and keep sharp and keep in the word about them. And just hearing you say the denial of the gospel, and and that is so um, common in today's churches to elevate a self-help program, it would never be called that in a church, a self-help program over um, you have a sin issue, and Christ died for that sin issue, and that's the root of what you have. And um, there are so many boxed programs out there that are trying to put Band-Aids on a sin issue. And mm-hmm. to put it in this language, that's denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really strong. That's really powerful. Yeah. Next, you said a denial of the Trinity. What, give us a practical example of what that looks like. Yeah, so a denial that... And the Son, the Father, the Spirit are not co-equal, co-eternal, fully God. Um, and 
there are a lot of religions that practice this. So Jehovah's Witness would be one of those that, that, that Jesus is a creature. He's a created being. He's not fully God. So we see this in a lot of other religions that, that are present. I think one of the ways that, that this seeps into our Christian subculture is this, this overemphasis on Jesus and underemphasis on the Father or on God, or overemphasis on the Spirit to underemphasis on the Father. So one of the ways that happens is, I love Jesus, I, I want to follow Jesus, or I believe in Jesus, but the God of the Old Testament, like, I, I can't deal mm -hmm. with that guy. There's, there's no way that I can be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And you can't have one without the other. Right. You know, that, that's the God of Scripture is the God of whole Scripture. Um, the Trinity is involved all throughout beginning of redemptive history all the way through. And so you can't separate and parse those things out. And all kinds of false religions have come out of that. Um, I think other ways that that happens is just a elevation of certain attributes of the Trinity without a recognition of the involvement of, of the whole. And so, you know, we can chase that further. But I, I do think that a lot of times we try to, in our culture, lean into what feels good to us and the things that don't, we try to uh, distance or we try to justify. So sometimes on the Holy Spirit side, it's the Spirit told me this, the Spirit, I feel this, I, I need to do this kind of thing because I feel in that the Spirit's telling me this. Well, God's Word is revealed by all the members of the Trinity and affirms what we should do in practice. And so it's ignoring one for the other, and we'll get into scripture in just a minute, but I think that's one way it happens too. Yeah, and that next one is the, the disregard of God's word. And so when we're talking about these antichrists, we're talking about being antichrists, we're talking about these false teachers, there is a rejection of these foundational doctrines of who God is and who he's called us to be. And so when you go through even these first few, you have the church, you have the gospel, you have the trinity, and it's a rejection of that. And when we reject those things, what we're often doing is elevating something else. Right. So we're lowering God and elevating a person, an experience, an emotion. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that really get us today. We Really probably throughout human history, we we might be some of the laziest thinkers today that have ever been. We have more resources, we have much more information and ways to study, but we're just lazy in our meditation. And so we don't study and we do not consider these things at a high level. And so our doctrines become weak. Well, as a result, then we celebrate the experiences mm -hmm. over the doctrines. We celebrate people, right? We celebrate uh, our emotions. And these are the things we begin to rise and we try to see through those lens. But those things are broken without mm -hmm. proper doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so the next one gets at that. It's the disregard for God's word. Unpack that one. That's a big one. Yeah. What do we, how, how do we see that in our just our everyday life? And how can we see that in false teachers where, again, they might not be, I reject it, but it's going to be a lowering of this to elevate maybe their experience, that emotion, or that person, or themselves, or whatever that might be. How do we see that in everyday life? Yeah, so what you just said is, is a major way. I think there are a lot of preachers, teachers, you know, they, whatever, you know, singers, musicians, that they 
choose to elevate, like you said, the experience over the word, what you feel. But I think a way this, you see this play out a lot of times is someone who is teaching, and if they teach for 30 minutes and maybe a minute or two is devoted to scripture mm -hmm. and the rest is just their own kind of talking about our personal issues and how we get past or how we have our best life or all these kind of things, that that's a minimization of scripture. Mm -hmm. Like the true preaching of the word, true teaching should be saturated by this mm -hmm. book and it should be under the authority of it. And scripture is our guide, not not feeling or self-help or um, what, what um, feels best to us. And so I think that happens a lot. I think there's just a minimization in the teaching of scripture that happens uh, all around us. I think another way that, that this happens that I see a lot now is this kind of deconstructive theology. There's different names for it or progressive theology, but basically it's this idea of, again, I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus or I believe in Jesus, but I just don't know that I can believe the Bible. So these miracles, these supernatural stories, these difficult things where God wipes out a people in the Old Testament and his wrath or whatever those things are, those things can't be real because God is love. And because God is love, I can't trust these things that don't line up with my definition of love. And again, we're, what the problem is we're creating our own definitions. Scripture doesn't agree with our definitions. And so instead of calling ourselves into suspect, we call God's word into suspect. And so we either just ignore it, like it's not there, mm -hmm. or we try to explain it. Oh, it's just metaphorical language. Mm -hmm. It's just stories. The Bible's full of stories and poetic language. And it's what Jesus is doing in parables. He's making stories. It's what the Old Testament is. Yeah, and I was just going to say to that, I think that's really important that if you guys are watching. I, I think most people in our area, they're not studying enough and they're not chasing enough that they're then trying to explain it. I think most just try to ignore it. Yeah, I really do. I think that's the thing. We don't study it enough. We don't think on enough to really even see the the dissonance, the conflict in what we believe and hold and what Scripture is teaching and realize those are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so rather than dig in enough to have to deal with that, we just like to avoid it. And there's something really scary in this area that I think happens, that people sit in churches and either they don't feel any dissonance or tension and they can walk away from every service feeling very uplifted. And if that's the case, something is not being taught scripturally as should that's be taught right. because it's not confronting you or they feel that dissonance and that tension. And if that goes on long enough, instead of confronting it, reflecting on ourselves and our own hearts, then they will leave because they're, it makes them uncomfortable. It doesn't fit with their definition of what church should feel like. Church should not make me feel that way. It right. should be an uplifting, encouraging um, experience all the time. And so instead of, and I'm pointing a finger at myself, instead of putting in the work to say, why am I sitting here feeling that? Mm -hmm. um, why is there that discomfort? It will be, mm, I should not be feeling that in church. And so if this continues, I'll just go someplace else that's a little more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a cultural thing that happens everywhere. But here in the South, that happens a lot. And we won't say it. But, but you're like, going to say it. Whatever. No, no. That's yeah, <laughs> true. That's true. I'm going to do it. We won't say, we won't specifically say it, but here's what's going to happen with that person. They're going to leave a church that has a high view of Scripture that is teaching it and exposing that tension and calling them to repentance, and they're going to leave, and they're going to go to a different church that has a lower mm -hmm. view of Scripture 
that will coddle them in that and not bring those things mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself, which is more faithful mm-hmm. to God's word and m- the call to make mm-hmm. disciples and which is lowering yeah. that view to raise up person, experience, emotion. And so you see that play out. You mentioned one more, an elevation of new revelation over God's word. What's that mean? Yeah, so an elevation over new revelation over God's word, that takes so many shapes and forms. But but one is where there is some sort of new doctrine, new revelation, the spirit told me this, God revealed himself to me, an angel came to me, told me these things. So we see this in some major false religions, Mormonism being one of those, where you know they would say they believe in the Bible, but then they also have this extra revelation that was given to Joseph Smith, and that precedes and dictates how they read scripture and informs all those kind of things. So that would be an extreme version of revelation. For most people in our churches, that's probably not where it's going to get them. I think where where we fall into this trap is this idea of we we go with our feelings in decision making instead of going with God's word. So uh, this can go so many different directions, but I feel like I should buy this house, take this job, leave this church, do this thing. You know, I, I prayed about it and I feel in my spirit that's the thing to do. Well, we should always call into sus- and be suspect of what we feel like we should do. Because again, God's word tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things. It's incurably wicked. It's going all kinds of different directions. And so the Holy Spirit always speaks in line with God's word. And he speaks through his people, through the leaders that are in his church. So an example would be if you feel in your spirit an urge or desire to confess sin to uh, a brother or sister that you've been living in, that probably is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's in line with God's word. Or you feel this need to go share the gospel with this person. Well, that's probably the Holy Spirit. That's not naturally you. Mm-hmm. You know, this desire to read the word, well, that's probably the Holy Spirit. But anything that's not directly within scripture, we should call him the suspect. And so what happens is we elevate, oh, I feel this way, I, you know, I have this leading, I have this peace. This is, that's one of the key words that we like to say. I feel at peace with this. And we should always call that into suspect. And we're, there's not a lot of times we actually take time to go to the word on an issue, prayer and fasting on an issue, go to those who God has placed in authority over us, church leaders on an issue, and is God calling me to do this? Is God not? We tend to elevate our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts over what scripture actually says. So I, I think that's a practical way that so looks. So you lined out some really good practical things right there. So um, questions will be raised. Um, is it ever okay to say, well, God has led me to do this? Or I feel this, I feel the spirit. Now, every time I say the word feel, I'm feeling like, <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. I feel. I'll say think. It's, it would be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you're I, discerning. Yeah. And then you're about to speak for the Lord. Right, right, right. Wow. Um, yeah, so you, if I, is it ever okay to say, well, I think God is leading me or I feel that the Spirit is leading me to do whatever? And you listed off some really good um, wise practices that people can have in making decisions. So what would you say to that? Yeah, I, I think we have to be really careful anytime we speak on behalf of God. You know, <laughs> So when we say the Spirit is leading me to do this, 
you know, we're declaring that, that God has spoken mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need to be really careful with that. Mm-hmm. So discernment of think, I think the Spirit might be leading me to this, probably is a better way to say it. But, you know, we're not talking about decisions like, should we have Mexican for lunch, yeah. you know, or, you know, the basic just kind of daily life kind of things. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but, but when we start making decisions that really affect the direction of our lives, mm-hmm. the decisions of our lives, or those who are, we're responsible for, our family, our kids, whatever, we really need to measure and weight those decisions according not to what we feel might be best or our gut, our intuition, and assume that our gut, our intuition, our thoughts are the spirits. Mm-hmm. But what, what does God's word actually say? So there are some very clear things that scripture has, has reveals to us about God's will for our life. Loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does this decision line up with, with bringing him glory? Loving my neighbor as myself, mm-hmm. does it line up with that? Does this line up with the Great Commission? Does this line up with the new commandment that Jesus has given us to love one another, the body of Christ, mm-hmm. just as I have loved you? Uh, it's God's will for, that you would be holy in, in your sanctification. So do these things help those ends? Mm-hmm. Does this decision help me toward that? Or is the end goal more of a self-centered decision? Mm-hmm. Prayer and fasting. You know, Jesus didn't say, if you fast, mm-hmm. when you fast. So there's an assumption that we are constantly going to God and pursuing him, putting ourselves under the authority of others. So if we are in a church, we talked about loving the bride, teachers, leaders, elders in that church, asking them for input, prayer, direction, our biblical community, when we're making decisions um, to see whether or not these things, do they really align with God's purposes, his kingdom, or are they just what we wanna do mm-hmm and we don't want to be questioned. So I'm going to say, I feel at peace about it, or I feel the Spirit leading me mm-hmm. uh, so that you'll back off and not ask me yeah. questions. I can justify my decision-making. Mm-hmm. We need to be very wary of that kind of language, we, thoughts. We also do that to weight the things that seem important to us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, you spoke to the discernment side of that. The, the reverent side, we think of taking... God's name in vain is a cuss word. Now, you saying, God told me, God led me when he did not, and speaking in quotes for God, that's taking God's name in vain. Mm. You, the church does that all the time. And so, for example, when it feels real is, if I look at you, by the way, Paul married up, Katie, if you're watching, I don't know how he did that. I mean, you know. But God's so, grace. would yeah. you? did you propose to Katie by going up to Katie and saying, God told me, that we're supposed to be married. No. You didn't do that. No. But wouldn't it be so great if you could wait your marriage as, as God told me, God led me. You might say, I, I feel like that, I discern that, but it feels so much better yeah. if we could just anchor it in this certainty of this. And it doesn't work that way, but we're so tempted to want to do that mm-hmm. and speak for the Lord in those things rather than claim the general revelation mm-hmm. that's given to us uh, in scripture, and by general, I mean every good gift mm-hmm. you have comes from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Bible tells us that anything that's good is happening. By the way, Katie is good for you, yeah. right? It's a, he mm-hmm. he gave her to you. Mm-hmm. It's true, mm-hmm. but to just leave it in those contexts is really important, and it keeps us from breaking that Ten Commandment 
and yeah. we honor the name of the Lord. So I think that's a really great thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the ditch I don't want people to fall into is like, well, can I trust anything? Or is the spirit not working in everyday life? Because he is. Absolutely. But the spirit's always going to be working in line with God's word. Yeah. And so I tell my kids all the time, when, when, when Jack comes and confesses, repents of some sin in his life, like, that's the spirit. Mm. You're not going to do that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that. That's not natural to me. That's the spirit working mm -hmm. in him. And so it's when I have a desire to read the word, share the gospel, confess sin, serve someone generously, like I can lean into those things yeah. because I know that that's not me naturally. Mm -hmm. But I should always be suspect when it's not something that's clearly in line with God's word. Mm -hmm. And I should also always be suspect if I've not been reading the word and praying a lot lately, I better not be leaning into, oh, the spirit. I don't want to trust my intuition on that because I've not been walking in the spirit. You know, and that leads great into a question that came into our mailbox this week that I want to throw out to you guys. So um, knowing how to um, judge revelation around us and judge what teachers and preachers are saying around us, it deals directly with a question that came in, which is how can believers spot a person, another person, who is holding out new revelation? Um, how can we spot that in the world around us today? What do you guys think? Here, I thought the question was going to be about cakewalks. Anyway, um, I know. <laughs> so, so I want us to be really, really practical. The, the truth is you have to be anchored in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, these are doctrinal things, and these are people that are adding to or mm -hmm. taking away. But how do you notice that they're adding to and taking away? So just a really practical thing. When we do this, we tend to exaggerate um, the extraordinary and minimize the exposition of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So here's what I mean by that. We will elevate our experience. We will elevate something that's extraordinary. I, this special word from the Lord, mm -hmm. this special prayer time that I had. It's, and we're always making much of these emotions, experiences, people, the, these extraordinary things that would need to happen mm -hmm. for that. We make much of that. Mm -hmm. And you'll see churches that they'll build whole services mm -hmm. around that type of a thing and they'll celebrate that. Well, what are they doing? Then they're minimizing the doctrines that are clearly communicated in the scriptures. And so there's a minimization of the uh, exposition, the study of God's word. I think that's where you'll see it. They'll talk about it. It's kind of like nifty, lifty preaching. They'll, they'll, <laughs> here's another, they'll find a nifty passage in Scripture. They'll lift it out of context, and then they'll just go chase whatever they want and get to the extraordinary thing. And write lots of books about it. And like, write lots of books <laughs> about it. And so you see that happen in the church. You see that happen outside of the church. But that's what you watch for, the person who exaggerates Again, the extraordinary mm -hmm. and minimizes the exposition of Scripture. And if you if you just begin to tune that, you'll you'll notice a lot of them by just paying attention to that. Yeah, that's really good. And, and one thing that popped out to me was um, any group, person, teacher, whatever it is, and you all have hit on this already, but um, that limits what Scripture says, whether it's about sin, whether it's about repentance. Um, it limits that. It denies the gospel in that area. Um, or it doesn't say all that Scripture says. Um, it takes one part out of context and doesn't say all that Scripture says on something. Or it goes beyond the bounds of Scripture and says more and builds an entire church or belief system beyond what Scripture ever says um, something should be focused on. So, And it's pr those are prevalent in our oh, society today. They are everywhere mm -hmm. today. Yeah. 
Thanks, man. Yeah. It was a great sermon. It, it really was. It was it awesome. It really great was. Passage to preach. It really was. Huge win. It was good. Was Cakewalks. Good. Great. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, that's just a, we're, we're cutting. <laughs> so, Jennifer. Yes, sir. Who'd you vote for? <laughs> All right, no, okay, for, for real, the, the election, sorry, the, ele the election is Tuesday. Some of people will be watching this Monday night, Tuesday morning that day, and there's, the, there's so much going on. There's so much commentary in the country, and here's the, just a message I want to remind you of. God is sovereign. He is larger than our country. He is larger than our political system. He is larger than the people who are running. Your hope does not change one bit based on who wins this election. It just doesn't because your hope's in Christ. Mm -hmm. And scripture even tells us we're aliens in this mm -hmm. world. We are his ambassadors. And so your message this week, don't talk so much about the election. Mm -hmm. Use the election to talk about the gospel. Mm -hmm. Talk to people about where real hope is. Mm -hmm. And I assure you, it's not in one of those parties. And it's mm -hmm. not in an election for one country. The hope of the world is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Mm -hmm. And anyone who would lower him and elevate the other, mm -hmm. they start falling into that false teacher stuff we've mm -hmm. been talking about. So as you go through this week, pray up and seize the opportunities to have gospel conversations and make much of Jesus. Let the people around you see that your hope is secure in him. Also, church, we recognize uh, COVID cases in our area are going up, and that's putting a strain back on some of our uh, our hospitals, our medical workers. Continue to pray for them. Uh, some of those units are getting full and those types of things, and we're trying to do uh, things on our end to continue to pursue safety while pursuing what is essential for the church. And yeah. so continue to pray uh, as we walk through that and be patient with one another. Mm -hmm. First Thessalonians 5, uh, 14, we urge you brothers, family of God, admonish the idle. Some people need to get back in step, encourage them, push mm -hmm. them, encourage the faint-hearted. There's some that are just weighed down by the stresses of life. Help the weak, serve one another. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and be patient with them all. Mm -hmm. Love one another. Mm -hmm. Just since I ask you and I'm teasing you, I want you to know uh, on my ballot, I, I wrote in Jennifer Lauren. <laughs> so I'm hoping, I, I'm, I am praying you are our next president. That I'm the, the write-in ballot winner. There'd okay. be cakewalks around the entire nation. This cakewalk thing has gotten out of hand. And so on that note, <laughs> I'm going to close this in a prayer. And I actually just now change the scripture that I was going to pray over. So I was going to read and pray through a passage out of 1 John chapter 2, which is where we were this weekend. Um, but in light of uh, just election and God's sovereignty over all of it, um, I'm going to read and pray um, out of Daniel chapter 4, um, starting in verse 34 for us. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you today that um, despite how um, unstable and shaky things appear, that is just not the truth. It is not the truth of your word. Um, so Lord, I praise you as King Nebuchadnezzar said, um, an enemy king said in the book of Daniel, your dominion is an everlasting dominion and your kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing 
Father, you do according to your will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And Father, we praise you today, this week, and always that no one can ward off your hand or say to you, what have you done? Lord, we celebrate and praise who you are, that you are our sovereign king, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.